Volume One, Chapter Fourteen of *The Widow Barnaby* by Francis Milton Trollope. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Fourteen: How to Choose Lodgings, Reasons for Laying Aside Widow's Weeds, Ladylike Accomplishments, Affectionate Forethought, Charming Sensibility, Generous Intentions, A Clever Letter, but One Upon Which Doctors May Disagree of lodgings mrs barnaby saw enough to offer a most satisfactory selection and heartily to weary agnes who followed her up and down innumerable stairs and stood behind her during what seemed endless colloquies with a multitude of respectable-looking landladies long after she had flattered herself that her aunt must have been suited to her heart's desire by what she had already seen of adventures the quiet streets of exeter were not likely to produce many but the widow had the satisfaction of observing that lounging gentlemen were abundant a cavalry officer still visible now and then and that hardly one man in ten of any class passed her without staring her full in the face at length after having walked about till she was sufficiently tired herself and till poor agnes looked extremely pale she entered a pastry-cook's shop for the purpose of eating buns and of taking into deliberate consideration whether she should secure apartments in the crescent which were particularly comfortable or some she had seen in the high street which was particularly gay mrs barnaby often spoke aloud to herself while appearing to address her niece and so she did now that's a monstrous pretty drawing-room certainly and if i was sure that i should be able to get any company to come and see me i'd stick to the crescent but it's likely enough that i shall find nobody to know and in that case it would be most horribly dull but if we did not get a soul from monday morning to saturday night we could never be dull in the high street such lots of country gentlemen and they always look about them more than any other men and then suddenly addressing her niece in good earnest she added don't you think so agnes i don't know ma'am replied agnes in an accent that would have delighted her aunt compton and which might have offended some sort of aunts but it only amused her aunt barnaby who laughed heartily and said for the benefit of the young woman who presided at the counter as well as for that of her niece yes my dear that's quite right that's the way we all begin and you will know all how and about it too long and long before you will own it agnes suddenly thought of the empton parsonage its pretty lawn its flowers its books and its gentle intellectual inmates and involuntarily she closed her eyes for a moment and sighed profoundly but the reverie was not permitted to last long for mrs barnaby having finished her laugh and her bun rose from her chair saying come along child the high street will suit us best won't it agnes you must best know what you best like aunt replied the poor girl almost in a whisper but the crescent seemed to me very quiet and agreeable quiet yes i should think so and if that's your fancy it is rather lucky that it's my business to choose and not yours and it's my business to pay too it's just sixpence she added with a laugh and pulling out her purse one button for the young lady and five for me come along agnes and do throw back that thick crape veil child your bonnet will look as well again another half-hour settled the situation of their lodgings in exeter smart mrs tomkins first floor in the high street with a bed in the garret for jerningham was secured for three months at the end of which time mrs barnaby was secretly determined as nearly as possible to lay aside her mourning and come forth with the apple-blossoms dazzling in freshness and couleur de rose the bargain for the lodgings however was not concluded without some little difficulty 
for mrs tomkins who owned that she considered herself as the most respectable lodging-house keeper in exeter did not receive this second and conclusive visit from the elegant widow with as much apparent satisfaction as was expected here i am again mrs tomkins said the lively lady in crape and bombazine i can see no lodgings i like well as yours after all well i don't know ma'am about that replied the cautious mrs tomkins but to say the truth i'm not over and above fond of lady lodgers they give a deal more trouble than gentlemen and i've always been used to have the officers as long as there were any to be had and even now with only three cavalry companies in the barracks it's a rare chance to find me without them but as you do happen to be without them now mrs tomkins and as your bill is up i suppose your lodgings are to let and i am willing to take them and may i beg the favour of your name ma'am said the respectable landlady stiffly barnaby answered the widow with an emphasis that gave much dignity to the name i am the widow of a gentleman of large fortune in the neighbourhood of silverton and finding the scene of my lost happiness too oppressive to my spirits i am come to exeter with my niece and only one lady's maid to wait upon us both that i may quietly pass a few months in comparative retirement before i join my family and friends in the country as their rank and fortune naturally lead them into more gaiety than i should at present like to share i am not much accustomed to be called upon thus to give an account of myself but this is my name and this is my station and if neither happens to satisfy you i must seek lodgings elsewhere i beg your pardon ma'am i'm sure replied mrs tomkins considerably awed by this imposing statement but in our line it is quite necessary and real ladies as i dare say you are are always served the better for being known and what in is your lady's maid and your luggage put up ma'am at street's hotel mrs tomkins and if we agree about the apartments i shall go there pay my bill and return directly you have flies here i think have you not i have no carriage with me yes ma'am we have flies and none better but if it's only for the luggage a porter would do better and tis but a step to walk the bargain was then concluded the ladies returned to the hotel and after a short struggle in the heart of the widow between economy and her rather particular love of a comfortable dinner she decided upon an early broiled chicken and mushrooms before her removal in preference to a doubtful sort of mutton-chop after it but at seven o'clock the two ladies were seated at tea in the drawing-room the lady's maid having been initiated by the factotum of the house into all the mysteries of the neighbouring shop for everything and performing her first act of confidential service very much to the satisfaction of her mistress who could not wonder that a city like exeter should be dearer than such a little out-of-the-way place as silverton mrs barnaby knew not a single soul in exeter and she lay in bed on the following morning for a full hour later than usual ruminating on the possibilities of making acquaintance with somebody who might serve as a wedge by which she might effect an entry into the society to be found there once seen and known she felt confident that no difficulty would remain but the first step was not an easy one she doubted not indeed that she might easily enough have obtained some introductions from among her acquaintance at silverton but it was no part of her plans to make her entree into the beau monde even of exeter as the widow of an apothecary no thought she as she turned herself by a vigorous movement from one side of the bed to the other i will carve out my own fortune without any silverton introductions whatever i know that i have a head of my own as well as a face and when once i have got rid of this nasty gown and that hideous cap we shall see what can be done 
walking up and down the high street however which formed nearly her only occupation during all the hours of light was she soon found the only gaiety she could hope for and it proved a source of mingled joy and woe to see so many smart people and so many beautiful bonnets was an enchantment that made her feel as if she had got to the gates of paradise but the impossibility of speaking to the smart people or wearing the beautiful bonnets soon turned all the pleasure into bitterness and she became immeasurably impatient to cure at least one of these miseries by throwing aside her hated weeds to do this soon became as she said necessary to her existence and her landlady at last turned out to be a perfect treasure from the sympathy and assistance she afforded her in the accomplishment of her wishes mrs tomkins had speedily discovered both that her lodger really had money and that the gentleman of a large fortune whom she had lost was the apothecary of silverton the respect obtained by the first quite obliterated in mrs tomkins's eyes any contempt that might have been generated by the falsehood which the second brought to light and on the whole nothing could be more friendly than their intercourse there can be no use mrs tomkins said the doleful widow do you think there can in my going on wearing this dismal dress that almost breaks my heart every time i look at myself it is very nearly six months now since my dear barnaby died and i believe people of fashion never wear first morning longer mr barnaby however had been alive and well exactly three months after the period named by his widow as that of his death and that too mrs tomkins knew as well as she did but mrs tomkins's sister was a milliner and family affection being stronger within her than any abstract love of propriety she decidedly voted for laying aside the weeds immediately there being no earthly good as she well observed in any woman's going on breaking her heart by looking at herself in the glass so the sister was sent for and after a long consultation in the widow's bedroom it was decided that the following sunday should send her to the cathedral in a black satin dress with lavender-coloured bonnet fichu gloves reticule and so forth considering the complete dependence of agnes and the great aptitude of such a disposition as that of mrs barnaby to keep this ever in her mind she certainly felt a greater degree of embarrassment at the idea of communicating this resolution to her than might have been expected her friends might fairly have drawn an inference considerably in her favour from this namely that she was ashamed of it but however respectable its cause the feeling was not strong enough to offer any effectual impediment to her purpose and she came forth from the council chamber where this great measure had been decided on wishing for the moment at least that agnes was at the bottom of the sea but firm in her determination to announce to her the important resolution she had taken without a moment's further delay i don't know how it is my dear agnes said she after seating herself and looking steadfastly at her knees for a minute or two but though i don't dislike to see you in deep mourning the sight of it on myself makes me perfectly wretched why should i go on making my poor heart ache for no reason upon earth that i know of but because when people happen to be where they are known by everybody it is customary to wear a certain dress for a certain number of days and weeks but thank heaven agnes there is not a single soul in all exeter that knows me and i really think there is something very like a rebellion against providence in refusing to take advantage of this lucky circumstance which doubtless the mercy of heaven has arranged on purpose so as to enable me to spare myself without impropriety it is easy enough agnes for ordinary-minded women to wear for a whole year together a dress that must remind them every instant of the most dreadful loss a woman can sustain it is easy enough for others but it will not do for me 
and in justice to myself and indeed to you too agnes i am determined to make the effort at once and discard a garb that breaks my poor heart every time i cast my eyes on any part of it you must of course perceive that it is not for myself alone my dear child that i make this effort to restore the health and spirits with which nature has hitherto so bountifully blessed me it is indeed chiefly for you agnes it is for your sake my dear that i am determined as far as in me lies to stop the sorrow that is eating into my very vitals but never be unjust to me agnes whenever you see me shaking off the gloom of my widowed condition remember it is solely owing to my love for you remember this with gratitude agnes and for the sake of truth let others know it too whenever you have an opportunity of alluding to it and now again did young agnes doubt her power of answering with propriety the principle of truth was strong within her and to have expressed either sympathy or gratitude would have been an outrage to this principle which would have made her hate herself she could not she would not do it and in reply to her aunt's harangue who seemed to wait for her answer she only said the dress of a widow is indeed very sad to look upon no one can doubt that aunt barnaby good heaven then you also suffer from the sight of it my poor child poor dear agnes i ought to have thought of this before but i will wound your young heart no longer this week shall end a suffering so heavy and so unnecessary for us both and i trust you will never forget what you owe me and yet my dear though i hope and believe i shall be sustained and find myself capable of making this effort respecting my own dress there is a tender weakness still struggling at my heart agnes which would make it very painful to me were i immediately to see you change yours do you feel any repugnance my dear girl to wearing that deep mourning for your poor uncle for some months longer agnes now felt no difficulty whatever in answering as she was expected to do and very eagerly replied oh dear no aunt none in the least i rejoice said the widow solemnly to perceive in you young as you are agnes feeling so perfectly what they ought to be you would spare me suffering from sadness too profound yet would you my child in all things not injurious to me desire to testify your deep respect for the invaluable being we have lost this is exactly what i would wish to see and i trust you will ever retain a disposition so calculated to make me love you but look not so sad my love i really must invent some occupation to cheer and amuse you agnes let me see what say you dearest to running some edging for me on a tulle border for my tour de bonnet the widow faithfully kept her kind promise to agnes and never again excepting for a short interval that will be mentioned hereafter did she run the risk of grieving any heart by the sight of deep mourning for her lost barnaby for though she restrained herself for some time longer within the sober dignity of black satins and silks as the material of her robes there was no colour of the rainbow that did not by degrees find its way amidst her trimmings and decorations during this period all the hours not devoted to the displaying her recovered finery in church or street were employed in converting cheap muslin into rich embroidery and labouring to make squares of scotch cambric assume the appearance of genuine batiste rich with the delicate labours of moravian needles it was a great happiness for agnes that satin stitch had never ranked as a necessary branch of female education at empton rectory had she been able to embroider muslin her existence would have been dreadful for beyond all question few of her waking hours would have been employed upon anything else one of mrs barnaby's favourite axioms being that 
there is nothing which makes so prodigious a difference in a lady's dress as her wearing a great profusion of good work so a great profusion of good work she was quite determined to wear and deep was her indignation at the culpable negligence of mrs wilmot upon finding that an accomplishment so particularly ladylike and so very useful had been utterly neglected to invent an occupation for herself during the hours thus employed by her aunt soon became the subject of all agnes's meditations she knew that it must be something that should not annoy or inconvenience mrs barnaby in the slightest degree and it was this knowledge perhaps which made her too discreet to ask for the hire of a pianoforte for which nevertheless she longed very much like a heart for the water brook for the musical propensities of her father and mother had descended to her and of all the pleasures she had yet tasted that derived from her study and practice of music had been the greatest but that her aunt should pay money for no other purpose than for her to amuse herself by making a noise in their only sitting-room was quite out of the question so the piano she mentally abandoned for ever but there were other studies that she had pursued at empton which if permitted to renew even without the aid of any master would greatly embellish an existence which the poor girl often felt to be as heavy a gift as could well have been bestowed upon a mortal having at length decided what it was she would ask for she took courage hemmed twice and then said should you have any objection aunt to my endeavouring by myself to go on with my french and italian while you are at work i am sometimes afraid that i shall forget all i have learned i am sure i hope not and it will be very stupid and very wicked of you agnes if you do your teaching is all we ever got out of that hunchback jezebel of an aunt and you must always recollect you know that it is very possible you may have to look to this as your only means of support i am sure i am excessively fond of you i may say passionately attached to you it is quite impossible you can ever deny that but yet we must neither of us ever forget that it is likely enough i may marry again and have a family and in that case my dear much as i love you and my disposition is uncommonly affectionate it will be my bounden duty to think of my husband and children which would probably make it necessary for you to go out as a governess or teacher at a school i understand that very well aunt replied agnes greatly comforted by the prospect thus held out and that is a great additional reason for my endeavouring to render myself fit to undertake such a situation i was getting on very well at empton will you be so very kind as to let me try to get on by myself here certainly agnes i shall wish to encourage your laudable endeavours but i must say it was a most abominable shame in that mrs wilmot not to teach you satin stitch which after all is the only really ladylike way in which a young woman can assist in maintaining herself just look at this collar agnes the muslin did not cost sixpence certainly not more than sixpence and i'd venture to say that i could not get the fellow of it in any shop in exeter for two guineas it is long before french or italian either will bring such a percentage as that now listen to me agnes before you set to upon your stupid books again i'll tell you what i am willing to do for you i hate teaching too much to attempt instructing you myself but i will pay a woman to come here to give you lessons if you will tell me truly and sincerely that you shall be able to learn it and to stick to it i am so fond of you agnes so particularly fond of you that i should not at all mind keeping you on even when i am married if you will take fairly and honestly to this elegant and ladylike employment for i should never have any difficulty i dare say in disposing of what you did beyond what i might want for myself and children that is provided you bring yourself to work in this sort of perfectly elegant style 
what do you say to it agnes you are very kind aunt replied the terrified girl blushing violently but indeed indeed i am afraid that as i have never begun yet i should find it quite impossible to bring my stubborn fingers to work as yours do i never was particularly clever in learning to work i believe and what you do is so very nice that i could never hope to do anything like it perhaps you are right my dear it is not every woman whose fingers can move as mine do replied mrs barnaby looking down complacently at the mincing paces of her needle but your hands are not clumsy agnes rather the contrary i must say and i can't but think child that if you were to set to with hearty good will and practise morning noon and night it is very likely you might learn enough after a year or two of constant painstaking to enable you to give up all your wearisome books at once and for ever this is worth thinking of twice i promise you indeed indeed dear aunt i never should make anything of it exclaimed agnes eagerly i am sure it is one of the things that people must begin early and i don't at all dislike books and i would rather go out to teach if you please than work muslin for i am quite quite sure that i never should do it well no not even decently so much the worse for you child at any rate i have done my duty by offering to have you taught please to remember that and may i begin then aunt with my books and where are you to get books miss agnes it is of no use to expect i can buy them and that you will find i see already that silverton is no rule for the rest of the world as to expense and that i shall have quite enough to do with my money without wasting it on trumpery so pray don't look to my buying books for you for most assuredly i shall do no such thing oh no aunt i do not think of it there is not the least occasion for such extravagance you shall see how well i am provided and so saying she ran out of the room and in a few minutes returned with a small and very neat mahogany box which in travelling had been carefully covered by a leathern case and which her aunt had suffered to accompany her unchallenged because she presumed it to be the treasury of all her best things a species of female property for which the widow had never failing respect even when it did not belong to herself which was perhaps more than could be said respecting any other sort of property whatever agnes brought this box in with difficulty for though small it was heavy and when opened displayed to the somewhat surprised eyes of her aunt a collection of tiny volumes so neatly fitting their receptacle as to prove that they must have been made to suit each other this was mr wilmot's present to me aunt said agnes taking out a volume to exhibit its pretty binding was it not kind of him it looks very extravagant i think for a man whose wife keeps school he must have been sadly puzzled to know what to do with his money no aunt that was not the reason for mr wilmot is not extravagant at all but he told me that aunt betsy instead of paying every half year like other people insisted upon giving him the five years stipend for me as well as the money for my clothes all at once and that he had always determined upon laying out the interest this sum had brought in a present for me i think it was very generous of him and what in the world have you got there child all grammars and spelling-books i suppose but it's the most senseless quantity of school-books that ever were got together for one person i think i see no generosity in anything so very silly they are not school-books aunt i assure you then what are they pray why do you make such a mystery about it oh it's no mystery but i did not know i will read you the titles if you please aunt here are shakespeare milton spencer and gray these are all my english books and what are these 
Racine, Corneille, La Fontaine, and Boileau. What useless trash, and these? Dante, Tasso, and Petrarch. And these six larger volumes are the componimenti lirici of various authors. Oh, goodness, child, don't jabber your stupid school jargon to me. There, take them all away again. I can't very well see how they are able to make you a governess of yourself. Grammars, I should think, and dictionaries would be more to the purpose for that sort of profitable usefulness. And I have got them too, aunt, in my clothes trunk, and if you will but be pleased to let me give my time to it, I am quite sure I shall get on very well. Go on, go on to what, child? To reading both French and Italian with facility, and perhaps to writing both with tolerable correctness. Well, if it will enable you to get your bread one of these days, I am sure that I won't wish to hinder it so go to work as soon as you will only pray don't let me hear any more about it for i quite hate the sort of thing though of course my dear if i was in your situation i should know it was my duty to think differently but those to whom providence has blessed with wealth have a right to indulge their taste and my taste is altogether that of a lady from this time the aching void in the heart and almost in the intellect of agnes seemed supplied her aunt, when she did not want her as a walking companion, suffered her to go on reading and scribbling to her heart's content, and the more readily, perhaps, from its giving her the air of being still a child learning lessons, which was exactly the footing on which she wished to keep her, if possible, for another year or two, as she was by no means insensible to the inconvenience of having a grown-up niece, while still in the pride of beauty herself. In this manner the period allotted for their stay at Exeter wore away mrs barnaby's wardrobe embroidery and all was quite ready for display betty jacks alias jerningham had learned to look exceedingly like a disreputable young woman to run of errands and to iron out tumble dresses the bright sun of june had succeeded the lovely temperature of a devonshire spring and everything seemed to invite the adventurous widow to a wider field of display but before she made this onward movement from which she hoped so much it was necessary to apprise her sister-in-law mrs peters of her affectionate intention of passing a few months at clifton in order to become acquainted with her and her family the letter by which this intention was announced is too characteristic of my heroine to be omitted my dearest sister under the dreadful calamity that has fallen upon me no idea has suggested the slightest glimpse of comfort to my widowed heart but the hope of becoming acquainted with my lost barnaby's sister beloved margaret so let me call you for so i have been used to hear you called by him beloved margaret let me hope that from you and your charming family i shall find the sympathy and affection i so greatly need your admirable brother my lost but never to be forgotten husband was as successful as he deserved to be in the profession of which he was the highest ornament and left an ample fortune the whole of which as you know he bequeathed to me with a confidence and liberality well befitting the perfect the matchless love which united us but alas my sister providence denied us a pledge of this tender love and where then can i so naturally look for the ultimate possessors of his noble fortune as amongst your family i have one young niece still almost a child whom i shall bring with me to clifton but though i am passionately attached to her my sense of justice is too strong to permit my ever suffering her claims to interfere with those more justly founded when we become better acquainted my dearest margaret you will find that this sense of what is right is the rule and guide of all my actions 
and i trust you will feel it to be a proof of this that my style and manner of living are greatly within my means in fact i never cease to remember dear sister that though the widow of my poor barnaby i am the daughter of the well-born but most unfortunate clergyman of silverton who was obliged to sell his long-descended estate in consequence of the treachery of a friend who ruined him thus while the high blood which flows in my veins teaches me to do what is honourable the unexpected poverty which fell upon my own family makes me feel that there is more real dignity in living with economy than in spending what my confiding husband left at my disposal and thus putting it out of my power to increase it for the benefit of his natural heirs this will i hope explain to you satisfactorily my not travelling with my own carriage and my having no other retinue than one lady's maid alas it is not in pomp or parade that a truly widowed heart can find consolation let me hear from you my dear sister and have the kindness to tell me where you think i had better drive on arriving at clifton with most affectionate love to mr peters and the blessing of a fond aunt to all your dear children i remain dearest margaret your ever devoted sister martha barnaby this letter was received by mrs peters at the breakfast round which were assembled three daughters one son and her husband the lady read it through in silence cast her eyes rapidly over it a second time and then handed it over to her spouse with an air of some solemnity though something very like a smile passed across her features at the same moment mr peters also read the letter but not like his lady in silence very kind of her indeed poor dear lady a true mourner that's plain enough to be seen she must be an excellent good woman my dear this widow of poor barnaby and i'm heartily glad she is coming among us your aunt barnaby's coming girls and i hope you'll all behave so as to make her love you is there any objection margaret to the children seeing this letter none at all replied the lady excepting excepting what my dear i am sure it is a letter that would do her honour anywhere and i should be proud to read it on the exchange what do you mean by excepting it is no matter the girls and i can talk about it afterwards and james i think will understand it very clearly at once understand it to be sure he will i never read a better letter or one more easily understood in my life here james read it aloud to your sisters the young man obeyed and read it very demurely to the end though more than once his laughing blue eyes sent a glance to his mother that satisfied her she was right in her estimate of his acuteness that's an aunt worth having isn't it said old peter standing up and taking his favourite station on the hearth-rug with his back to the grate though no fire was in it now i hope we shall have no airs and graces because she comes from a remote part of the country but that you will one and all do your best to make her see that you are worthy of her favour i will do all i can to show myself a dutiful and observant nephew but don't you think sir that the lady doth protest too much oh but she'll keep her word replied his mother laughing keep her word to be sure she will poor lady she is broken-hearted and broken-spirited as it's easy to see by her letter observed the worthy mr peters and i do hope wife that you will be very kind to her and where shall i tell her to drive mr peters to the york hotel my dear i should think do you know that i rather fancy she expects we should ask her to come here no well that did not strike me let me see the letter again but it's no matter whether she does or does not it may be quite as well to do it and she says she likes to save her money poor thing 
the father and son then set off to walk to bristol and mrs peters and her three daughters were left to sit in judgment on the letter and then to answer it i see what you think mamma said the eldest girl as the door closed after them you have no faith in this widowed aunt's lacrimals not so much mary as i might have perhaps if she said less about her sorrows and her generous intentions in our favour mamma said the youngest perhaps you have no faith in them either not so much lucy said the lady repeating her words as i might have perhaps if she said less about it i hope you are deceived all of you said elizabeth the second girl very solemnly and i must say i think it is very shocking to put such dreadful constructions upon the conduct of a person you know so little about i am sure i put no constructions replied mary i only ventured to guess at mamma's and i beg to declare that my sins against this generous new relative have gone no farther said lucy well well we shall see girls said the lively mother let us all start fair for the loaves and fishes and now elizabeth ring the bell let the breakfast be removed and you will see that i shall reply in a very sober and proper way to this pathetic communication the letter mrs peters composed and read to her daughters was approved even by the sober-minded and conscientious elizabeth it contained an obliging offer of accommodation at their house in rodney place till mrs barnaby should have found lodgings to suit her and ended with kind regards from all the family and i beg you to believe me your affectionate sister margaret peters so far everything prospered with our widow this invitation was exactly what she wished and having answered accepted and fixed the day and probable hour at which it was to begin mrs barnaby once more enjoyed the delight of preparing herself for a journey that was to lead her another step towards the goal she had in view End of chapter fourteen